Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Welcome, Hope family, to our next weekly installment of the Search for the Spirit-Filled Life. Uh, We're going to be in Acts 2 today, continuing in Acts 2. And before we kind of get rolling, I'm going to make sure and give us a summary of where we've been. Okay, so turn to Acts 2, look at verses 1 through 13. So in verses 1 through 13, the disciples, 120 of them, men and women, are waiting for the promise of the Father that Jesus told them about. They are waiting, and as they do, a sound like a violent rushing wind comes over them, tongues of fire distribute themselves over their heads, and they begin speaking in languages that they do not know. This noise is so loud that it attracts a crowd of people um, who then hear all the disciples speaking in their own languages. And this miracle is what gives um, a platform for the disciples then to share the good news of Jesus with these Jews who've come from every corner of the earth to worship in Jerusalem during Pentecost. That's where we've been. Okay, so we're gonna pick it up in verse 14 today. So Acts 2 verse 14, it says, Peter taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all those who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Okay, so Peter, it says taking his stand or being put forward as spokesman. So depending on what you think Peter was going through that day, you can say that he was either taking his stand or that the other disciples kind of pushed him to the front of the crowd and said, Peter, you speak for us, okay? What I'm going to do is read for you a description of what that day would have been like for the people in Jerusalem to kind of set this scene a little bit. So you can picture Peter kind of taking his stand, but these are the events and the milieu um, leading up to what was happening that day, okay? So it says, On the day of Pentecost, tens of thousands of pilgrims entered the city of Jerusalem. When the first stars appeared in the evening sky, priests in the temple sounded silver trumpets to announce that the feast of Pentecost had begun. But the Pentecost offering itself would not take place until the sun rose the next morning. Then when the gates were opened and the morning sacrifice had been made, the people themselves presented to the Lord a loaf of leavened bread made from wheat and two-year-old lambs, one lamb offered as a sin offering and one as a peace offering for the Lord. Shortly after midnight, the temple gates had been opened so that all of these animals with all of these people could um, bring their, their, the people could bring their animals in and the priests would inspect each lamb with lamplight to make sure that they had no blemishes on them whatsoever because the idea was that what we offer the Lord needs to be perfect and spotless, okay? Meanwhile, a priest was posted on the pinnacle of the temple to watch for the morning. When the first ray of sunlight was seen shining around the mountains, the signal was given to begin the regular morning sacrifice. This would have taken place at 9 a.m. and this becomes important as we talk about what time of day is happening here in Acts 2. This would have taken place around 9 a.m. Three blasts on silver trumpets called the people to assemble at this time. And when that signal was heard, the multitude began to move through the streets toward the temple. And while this was taking place, 
they heard the sound of 120 voices praising God in their own language. The narrow streets around that house were almost certainly not a satisfactory place to address a huge crowd. So at some point, the disciples must have moved to a location large enough to permit thousands to assemble and listen to an explanation of what was taking place. And the most likely site was the broad southern steps leading up to the temple. Amos and I have been there. It is awe-inspiring and so exciting. In effect, those great stone steps provided an amphitheater where the crowd could sit and listen while Peter and the disciples stood at the base of the steps speaking to those arrayed above them. So they would have been at the base of the steps, all these people on the steps, so it became kind of a tiered amphitheater and it allowed their voices to be heard by all. Okay, so that's the scene that we're setting as we come into this story in Acts 2.14. So now Peter, taking his standard, being put forward as spokesman, says, listen up because I'm going to explain to you what's going on. Now Peter being put forward as spokesman is very interesting because this is the same man who 50 days earlier, remember Penta means 50, so 50 days earlier had denied to a servant girl that he even knew Jesus. Though he may have been pushed to the front by the others or stood his ground, depending on what translation you take, his choice to stand there and carefully deliver the speech that follows makes it clear that he'd experienced real and deep transformation. This transformation isn't something that Peter could have drummed up within himself in seven weeks, nor is it something that he could have been propelled into by how guilty he felt about how he did not live up to saying yes about Jesus when Jesus was being crucified. Instead, this transformation was the result of his repentance, his return to fellowship with Christ, and his empowerment by the Holy Spirit. This is what followed. Verse 15 Listen to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. Okay, so at the same time, all the people are supposed to be moving toward the temple is the same time that the disciples are pouring out into the streets and they're hearing their, voice, their um, own languages through what the disciples are saying. Okay, and what he's saying is, guys, it's 9 a.m. Like, we don't party that hard here in Jerusalem, okay? Not all these people are drunk. There's a, mir a miracle happening here. And he says, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So the first thing he says to them, one, we're not drunk. And two, he says, what you're seeing is a fulfillment of what our prophets spoke about, the prophet Joel, okay? And what we'll see is that in Acts, those who are sharing the good news with fellow Jews always go back to the Old Testament as their footing for understanding what God is doing or has done. Okay, so scripture, even then, was their basis and foundation for everything that they held conviction about. They always were pointing back to say, the scripture we know interprets the events that we are witnessing. That's why it's so important that scripture is woven throughout our understanding of our experience that we take our experiences and we look at scripture or we look at scripture and see our experiences and we let scripture exegete what we are experiencing. For those of us who have said yes to Jesus, scripture is our mother tongue. 
it is the language that we speak, okay? That's the example that Jesus and the disciples set for us. And so then he quotes the prophet Joel. So he quotes the Bible as it were at the time. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And then he talks about signs and wonders and ends saying, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's look at this prophecy. Let's break it down. Number one, that when the Holy Spirit comes, that when the end end of time comes, the fulfillment of the days, okay, is one of the ways the Bible explains it that God's spirit will be poured out on all of humanity. Your translations might say all mankind. It might say all men, as in the plural men and women. It might say all flesh. Okay, literally it says flesh. So his spirit is going to be poured out indiscriminately, okay, on the people who are following him, okay? It says sons and daughters, which means that the spirit will equally be with women as it is with men, okay? Um, that you're, it says young sons and daughters, that on the young, it will be poured out just as it is poured out on the old and the wise, okay? So what it's saying is that the Holy Spirit's being poured out indiscriminate to what you know, indiscriminate to how experienced you are in life, that he is going to be poured out, not just on those who have quote unquote earned it, but poured out on the young. Um, That the young will prophesy, speak what is not yet as if it were. That our young people will be forerunners. That our young people will be setting the example in the ways of the Holy Spirit. They will have wisdom that it is beyond their years. Okay, It says your young men will have visions. So visions means seeing what God wants to show the world. Okay, when God shows us visions, when God gives us a picture of what's to be or what he wants to have happen, or even the way things are that aren't living up to the way things he wants to have happen, it's so that we can put our prayers behind what his will is. Okay, so it's saying this is going to happen to your young men. And then it says your old men will dream dreams. That just as, as God's spirit is going to be poured out on young people, they're going to have visions, they're going to dream. So your old, the, the wise people, the, the mature people, the people who are our elders will dream dreams. That they will um, see the things of God, that they will catch his heart for what he's doing now. Okay, and then it says he reiterates on all of my servants. It's the word is bond slaves, and what that means is someone who has said, "I'll be your slave." Okay, like a like a not a slave that someone has bought, but someone who has pledged their life as a servant to their master. Okay, on all of my servants, both men and women, he says again, "I will fill them with the Spirit. I will." Um, fill them or pour forth the spirit on them and they will prophesy. They will speak what is not as if it were, okay? Peter speaking 
at this very moment in time, as he's, as he's preaching this sermon, as he's quoting the prophet Joel, is evidence of what he is saying exactly. They are seeing a man empowered by the Spirit saying what is true, saying what God is doing, even when other people can't see it. He is prophesying over this group of people. Um, and they are also seeing this sign and wonder of um, hearing God's praise in their own language from people who should not know this language. So it's a miracle of speaking and it's also a miracle of hearing. Everyone is a part of this miracle. And then it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what it's saying is that when, when God pours out his spirit, and this is happening, um, salvation from the Lord is going to be open to all. There's not going to be anyone who's disqualified. You're not going to be disqualified because you're young. You're not going to be disqualified because you're old. You're not going to be disqualified because you're a man. And you're not going to be disqualified because you're a woman. It's not going to be for any particular nation, but that everyone who calls on his name will be saved. And then he says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, works of power, signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So what he's saying is, listen, that, that when the prophet Joel was speaking all these things, when we have heard prophecies about the Messiah, I have the name to put to those things, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. Interestingly, the name Jesus the Nazarene, uh, because oftentimes, you know, if, if someone had similar names, they were either... Um, they were uh, singled out by where they were from, Jesus the Nazarene, or who they were the son of, Jesus bar Joseph, okay? Jesus, son of Joseph. And Jesus the Nazarene is what Peter calls him. And interestingly, remember this is only seven weeks after the crucifixion. Interestingly, Jesus the Nazarene is the name that was hung over Jesus as he was crucified. So as the gossip is going around the city that this guy named Jesus the Nazarene was crucified and, and some people say he rose again, that Peter is saying, listen, that same name you saw hanging over him in shame, that's the name of your Messiah. It says this man delivered over by the plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So he's saying, look, you're responsible for doing this and the Romans are responsible for doing this. Basically, just like everyone who calls in the name of the Lord is gonna be saved, everyone is complicit in Jesus's death. Okay, that's what Peter's making clear. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony, literally the birth pains of death since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. So he was saying Jesus was raised from the dead because death cannot hold him. And because death cannot hold him, it cannot hold us. And Peter is saying, all of us here you see taking part in this miracle, those of us speaking and those of you hearing, the mighty deeds of God in your own language, um, you are experiencing this sign and wonder that all the prophets were talking about. Um, 
Peter is saying too that all the people you see speaking this miracle are people who saw him resurrected, right? He said that we ourselves were witnesses to. And this idea that we have like clout with you because you're hearing us speak in a language we don't know, this same, this same miracle that you see that makes you say, oh wow, God must be doing something. We all saw him raised from the dead. So if you can believe the miracle happening before your eyes, you need to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that death could not hold him. And it says in verse 33, this is our last verse, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, the favored position, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So Peter is giving the beginning and the end. This is what this miracle means. It means that all of those times that were prophesied about now are here. The Messiah is Jesus and he has poured out the Holy Spirit on us just as the Father promised. Okay, this is how, how Peter surmises everything that's going on right now that Jesus had the place of favor before God is important because all people knew is that he had been crucified on a cross, which was a criminal's death. It was disgraceful and it would have proved to them, this can't be the Messiah because the Messiah wouldn't die that way. The Messiah is supposed to be strong and mighty and like a King David who wins battles and makes us feel all glorious and like Israel is having this renaissance and he couldn't have died on the cross. And so Peter is making it clear, look, this Jesus who you crucified is now sitting at the right hand of God, the favored place with God. We have now received the promise of the Father. What Joel spoke about on those days, I will pour out my spirit. He's saying it's here, it's happening. And that we, what you yourselves are seeing and hearing is a direct result of the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. Man, aren't you proud of Peter? <laughs> What an amazing turnaround to have, to, to be able to see everything come together. And I don't know if you remember, but um, after Jesus has been resurrected, it says how he talked and walked with the disciples for all this time before his ascension for about 40 days um, after he was raised from the dead. And it, and, and it says he explained to them the things of God. So I have to imagine that what Peter is saying now is is what he learned from Jesus after Jesus had been resurrected. That as Jesus was explaining the scriptures to them and talking with them after he'd been resurrected, that this is the thing that Jesus was explaining to Peter. And I love that because it's almost like we get to hear Jesus and what Peter's saying. Everything that the crowd was seeing and hearing was on purpose. The eternal plan of God for this moment in history that Jesus, the Messiah, would come, that he would do signs and miracles, would die and live again, and be sat at the right hand of the Father. When all of this was fulfilled, the earth would see an outpouring of God's spirit that they had never seen before. It would be indiscriminate in its filling. Young, old, men, women, nations around the world as a result of this outpouring, people would call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Peter is saying that time is now here. I think we all have times in our, 
in our lives where we realize that, you know, God is knocking on the door and that the time is now here to respond. With all that's going on in our world, um, and I will admit I tend to see things half or three quarters full often. (laughs) And so I can take any negative situation and say, this is what God is doing. But I really do believe that this time in uh, world history and in American history is a time where God is knocking on the door and saying, the time is now here. Uh, Respond to me. Like that this is crucial time. That we are to be people filled with the Spirit. That we are to be dreaming dreams and seeing visions. And you know what I love about this? As much as I would like to say, I will dream a dream (laughs) or I will see a vision. Like this is the kind of thing that it's so impossible for us to come to in our own strength. You could never learn enough cerebral knowledge about God to make vision happen. You could never, you know, study or live up to this or that that would force this to happen in the way that it will. Our only avenue is surrender. Saying, God, this is your time. This is your place. Come and fill me and help me do what you've asked me to do. I think it's interesting too that like the disciples had no frame of reference for everyone speaking a bunch of different languages. Like we hear the word tongues now and some of us have some kind of idea about what that means. But back then, the idea that how the Holy Spirit would decide to move is that they would all start speaking different languages was not just out of left field. It was like out of this planet. It was out of this universe. But yet they were open and they were willing, right? We are to be the ones speaking truth, um, speaking forth God's kingdom before we can see it with our physical eyes, seeing miracles and signs of God's presence here on earth. This can happen as we repent That means turn from our sin, like really have heart-to-heart time with God where we really sit down and are able to ask him to examine our hearts and are broken and, and sorrowful over the things that we do and the ways that we behave that hurt God's heart. No one graduates from that. (laughs) No one gets to the point where repentance isn't a part of their walk with God. Um, This happens as we repent, as we experience God's forgiveness and love and acceptance and ask to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as these disciples were. So here's the things I think we can do to help ourselves be willing. One, again, is to ask God to forgive our sins, known and unknown. I mean, just this morning, I will be honest, I, I, I was rude to my daughter. <laughs> I was rude uh, needlessly, okay? Um, I was too harsh with her. And as I was driving her over to her grandparents, I asked her, I, I said I was so sorry for being rude to her. And I wanted to say mommy didn't sleep last night, but you know what? Does that really matter, <laughs> right? I just said, honey, I'm so sorry that mama has been very quick to, quick to be angry today. 
will you please forgive me? And of course she said, yes, mama, you know, I love you. And, and, and that's wonderful. But I'm like, how often do we sit before the Lord and actually take the time to be sorry for anything? And that's not about sitting in our, in being sorry or feeling bad about ourselves all the time. It's acknowledging reality, <laughs> right? Uh, it is reality that we do not live up to the things of God. Um, and that we have a place before him to come with our wins and with our losses and sit before his throne with total love and acceptance as we ask for his forgiveness. Water baptism is the public declaration of that. And if you want to be water baptized to say, my old life has gone and my new life is coming um, or has come, you can be baptized this next Sunday on October 25th. Okay. Number two, we need to accept God's forgiveness. Um, regardless of our inability to do all that we should and be all that we should, because if Peter had been stopped by shame, this speech never would have been given. Peter had every reason. He could not say to an 11-year-old girl, yeah, I know Jesus. He couldn't even say that to a little girl. And if he had let that shame rule him, we would never have this story in this same way. So you and I need to accept God's forgiveness and thank God that we are clothed in Jesus's righteousness. And then lastly, that we would continually be asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, baptize me, immerse me in your Holy Spirit. That's the ask, surrendered to his way and his timing. You know, one of our discussion questions for groups this week was, are you worried that if you say yes to the Holy Spirit, he will embarrass you? Now I write these questions, haha, so you can see a little bit into the way that my mind thinks when you read them in your groups. You can also access them on the website if you're not in a group. They're good study questions. And I was so relieved when everyone in my group said, yes, I'm totally worried the Holy Spirit will embarrass me or ask me to do something scary or whatever else. And you know what? You are not alone <laughs> in feeling like what will happen if I say yes to the Holy Spirit. I just want you to know that from me to you and your Hope family. But that we would be surrendered to his way and his timing, even as we're scared, okay? that we would expect to see the Holy Spirit come and do things that are miraculous. We need to be on the lookout, okay? To be on the lookout for what the Holy Spirit is doing. Honestly, heart to heart, this week I had to have a moment where I sat before the Lord and um, was like, Lord, do you want me to be speaking in tongues in my quiet time with you? And it's one thing to like preach about all this, okay, to be honest, but it's another to like when it's just me and the Lord say, Lord, are you asking me to step out in this way? Like, do you want me to speak in a prayer language that only you understand? Like, do you want me to be using this as a part of my spiritual discipline more than I am? Because if that's so, I need you to help me, okay? Have that conversation with the Lord this week. So, what you might, what might be helpful to say is, Lord, I want you to fill me with your spirit and use it as you will. I'm open, speak to me and move in me. 
Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.